0: Let's take our Bibles. We'll be in the Psalms again today. We'll be in the first chapter, Psalm 1. Well, we're going to continue our... We just started a new series. This will be our third message. This is my story. This is my Psalm. And we want to study through some of the Psalms. As I mentioned in that very first message, we won't do all 150 at least in this section. We will be in the Psalms for a bit and then we may take a breather or a pause on that and do some other things and then come back to it. But trying to find a little bit about the background of the Psalms, the particular ones, what was going on and what was uh, involved. We've looked at two of them so far, the 90th and the 91st. Uh, the 90th is was written by Moses. It says it right there in the superscription. It, uh, it tells us that he was the author um, uh, it's the oldest of the Psalms, and perhaps the oldest piece of Scripture in the Bible, the first written. And, um, and so we learned from that, and then we went to the 91st, and it doesn't state who the author is, although uh, there's speculation and consideration that Moses possibly was the author of that, especially if you take Deuteronomy 33, verse 27 to a, into account, uh, and it, you can see Psalm 90 and 91 in that verse. Uh, written right before Moses uh, died. And so, uh, don't know for sure, but that was the last two that we've looked at. In that 91st Psalm, we learned about three things. The problems, the promises, and then the presence was our three-point outline. Uh, Problems, they exist for all of us, correct? Uh, We are not going to escape them. You're either in some problems or just coming out of problems or... Getting ready to go into problems thats part of this life. In this world ye shall have tribulation, Jesus told his followers. And so we talked about the problems that were presented there in Psalm 91. And, and then we saw the promises of God. And aren't those wonderful to hold on to and to claim and to believe? Uh, yesterday, Brother Bob Clinton Sr. gave a devotion in our men's prayer meeting. And, and he said, hey, those are promises for us. Let's claim them. There's nothing wrong for us to claim the promises that God gives us in his word and, and, and to take advantage of those. But then the psalm went to another level. Went from problems to promises. But then it goes to, it goes to the stratosphere then of the spiritual life because then it presented to us the presence of God. And isn't it wonderful to know that God is with you even in the deepest and darkest problems and trials that we'll have. That he does not leave us nor forsake us and we can trust in the presence of God. Well, as I prayed now for the last couple of weeks of where I would be on this sermon here, I, I felt led, let's go back to the very beginning, to the first psalm. Um, this, this first psalm, is, it's special to me. My very first message 40 years ago was from Psalm 1 when I was 11 years old. I was voluntold to, I would be preaching at camp that year. You ever been voluntold something? You're going to volunteer to keep preach. That's what I was told. I said, I don't want to. They said, no, you are going to volunteer. I said, okay. And so I was voluntold to preach and uh, at Pleasant Valley Ranch back in Ohio. And I preached for five minutes. Now, I've added to that message since then, all right, church? Don't get too excited. You're not getting out of here in five minutes. We're going to be here a little longer than that. But, uh, and I got a trophy that day. Uh, they gave me a trophy. It's the only trophy I've ever gotten for preaching a message. I've only gone downhill since then. Uh, but uh, it's been a special psalm to me. I've read through it, preached through it many times. And I asked the Lord to give me some fresh thoughts on it today, and I, and I trust it will be a help to us this morning. As I mentioned, the Psalms are divided into five books, and the first two Psalms are considered to be introductory Psalms, introducing us to these, these amazing uh, uh, passages of Scripture. Psalm one is brief and direct, presenting the answer that all men have longed for how to be happy. This morning, I want to preach on the thought of the pursuit of happiness. Throughout the Scriptures, we see individuals making wise choices and poor choices while trying to find happiness. Our founding fathers made this statement in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you lived in and survived the 1980s, you probably heard a song played across a mall speaker, or perhaps on your big boombox stereo that you used to carry around. Don't worry. Oh, you didn't want me to go there, did you? That's stuck in your head now, if you know that tune. Don't worry, be happy. Since the beginning of time, we have seen men make choices trying to find happiness. That has often led them to make very poor choices. Drugs, alcohol, immorality. Uh, the, the, uh, trying to reach a level of wealth where certainly that would bring happiness in their thoughts. They've rejected authority and rules trying to find happiness. And all the while, the key for happiness is found right here. In God's Word. Uh, psalm 1 is an instructional manual on how to, how to and how not to find happiness. We'll see the pursuit of the godly and the pursuit of the ungodly. Let's read this psalm, Psalm 1. And we'll look at these six verses this morning. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now no author is stated in this text, and there's no other scriptures that I know of that would tell us who the human author of Psalm 1 is, the penman of this psalm. But I have heard two primary considerations uh, that many believe that either David or Solomon, his son, is the author of this psalm. And when you look at both of their lives and consider the, the ups and downs of their lives and how they sought for and looked for happiness, you could see how both of them would have an opinion on this. How both of them would have experienced these things. There were times when they walked with God and there were times when they wandered from God. In those times of wondering, they participated in the sins of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm grateful that in both of these men, we have testimony in the scripture that both of these men, uh, both of them repenting, being right with God after these seasons away from God. By the way, in those seasons away from God, in that time of wondering, there was consequence, wasn't there? Uh, we... Uh, many of us went this weekend and on Friday we saw a uh, production at Sight and Sound up in uh, Pennsylvania on the story of David. And there was a period of his life where it was chaotic. There was a period of time of his life where he was, uh, he got so busy trying to serve God he, he, he forgot to be intimate with God, to be close to God and God. It led him to a time of sin in his life, and there were consequences. We've studied about Solomon and his life, and when he chose to follow after the gods of these many wives that he accumulated, there were consequences in his life and in and in, early in the kingdom. And so, there are consequences, but there was a time of repentance in both of their lives. You can read First Chronicles 29 as David on his deathbed shares those final words and, and thoughts about his Savior and, and how they were to serve them. You can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where Solomon writes for us his pursuit uh, of the pleasures of this world, finding them all to be vanity, finding them all to be worthless, and at the conclusion of chapter number 12, he says we're to fear God and to keep his commandments These men had a time in their life away from God, trying to find happiness. And so perhaps these men are writing in that context, one of them. So let's first of all consider, in the first three verses, the pursuit of the godly. Those that are godly. And this chapter in this book begin with the word blessed. Blessed. The very first word of this psalm in the Psalms is this word, blessed, which comes from a Hebrew word that 27 times in our Bible is translated blessed, and 18 times is translated happy. The thought is they're equivalent words with each other. Happy, or to describe this, uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 is going to tell us this first verse is how to be blessed or happy. And in these verses it reveals to us what not to do, what to do, and the results. Notice verse number 1, the negative words that are used here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Listen, in order to be happy, there's some things we must reject. There's some things we must say no to. There's some things that we must refuse to participate in. We cannot just go out and live our lives and the, the pleasures of this world and expect that to be honoring to God and to be pleasing to God. God has called us to be separate. He's called us to be distinct. He's called us to be different than the than what we would see in the world or even what our flesh would long to do. So we see some things here that we are to reject. Hold your place here. Let's go back to our New Testament. Let me share with you a passage that we just looked at the other night here a few Sunday nights ago in Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. We had a message on how God's grace is involved in our lives and salvation. And then the very second thought we looked at in verse number 12 of chapter 2 in Titus shows us that God's grace is involved in our transformation or in our sanctification. The idea of sanctification is becoming holy as God is holy, becoming more like Him, being set apart unto holiness. And notice what it says here in verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Take note of that word denying. That's saying no. That's refusing. That's pushing it away. We're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. But then the verse goes on. We should live. There's some things that we need to hold on to. There's some things that we need to grab to. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In church today, if you want to find true happiness, it's going to require you to say no to some things. It's going to require you to have some changes in our lives periodically, a review of our lives and to examine our lives to see if there's anything in us that should not be there. And so there's the, 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 the things that we should not do, but verse number two then tells us the things that we should do. Let me, let me mention, I, let me back up here. I got ahead of myself for just a moment. Back there in verse number one, notice it, it talks about these personalities, the ungodly, the sinner, the scornful. Listen, be careful who you hang with, who you walk, it, it, it talks about your walk here. It talks about where you stand. It talks about where you sit. It's talking about who you allow to influence you in your life. So Benjamin Franklin that said, he that lieth with dogs shall rise up with fleas. Someone else said, you can tell a lot about a person by who their friends are. Now, we are to be a witness. And Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. But be careful how you let those individuals influence you. And so there's some things that we must be careful with and and who you spend the majority of your time with and who you allow to influence you. So there's that, things you're not to do. And then secondly, there's some things we are to do. Uh, Look at verse number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is a clear contrast to verse number one. And it shares with us this path to blessedness or happiness. It's a positive verse. Notice three words in this verse for us uh, this morning. The word delight. The word meditate. And then the little word in. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Delighting means that we take pleasure in. meditate means that we ponder upon. That little word in means we participate. And all of them have to do with God's word. Taking pleasure in God's word. Pondering upon God's word. Participating in God's word. Listen, if you're going to find happiness, if you're going to be on the true path to happiness, to this pursuit of happiness, God's word must be a part of it. This is where you're going to find it. Again, the idea of delighting is mean that I find pleasure, enjoyment in the Word of God. Uh, the idea of meditating is it's something that I think on, I ponder upon it, I, I, I leave it in my mind and I chew on it and I, and I get all that I can out of it. And in participating, uh, letting it change us, letting it be a part of our lives. When we see what not to do and what to do, you see the results in verse number three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We see, again, this is a verse of success. We see words like planting, bringing forth, prospering. This is a a successful uh, pursuit. This is a successful search in what we find. When I read verse number 3, it leads me to remember Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. We just got done going through a series in the book of Joshua, and that was the very first message we preached about out of Joshua chapter number 1. And that success, the only time it's found in the Bible, the word success is in Joshua 1.8. And guess what the key thought there is? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success Listen, my friends today, if you want true happiness, you truly want to be blessed of God, you must go through God's word. This is where you'll find it. This is what will feed you in and make you what God wants you to be. This is the pursuit of the godly, denying those things that we should deny, embracing those things that we should embrace, and having the results of success. But then in verses 4 through 6, we have the pursuit of the ungodly verse 4 says the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away immediately we see the path of the ungodly is is different here's the key thought of verse number 4 it is not long lasting there is no depth. There is no longevity. The, the ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff. You would see that on the top of a piece of wheat. And the chaff there is, is blown about, and it's blown away from there. There's no root. There's no stability. There's no, there's no security there. The ungodly go down a path that, oh, there are short times of pleasure, correct? Short times of enjoyment, We're reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Moses in verse 25, that he chose to endure the affliction of Pharaoh with his people, not embracing the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen, the pleasures of sin are always for a short time. They're always for a moment. And those short-term pleasures will bring long-time consequence, permanent consequence. So these pleasures are short-term. The chaff which the wind driveth away, and that leads us to verse 5 and 6. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This permanent, this long-term punishment is found here in verses 5 and 6. The psalmist brings us to the thoughts of judgment. Brings us to the thought that the ungodly cannot stand before God. No doubt this is speaking of that final judgment one day, that great white throne judgment, where those that have rejected God and rejected God's plan of salvation will stand before a holy and a righteous God, and they'll be found lacking, they'll be found needing and wanting, and it'll be too late. God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. They will not stand. Listen, we all have a brief time here on planet Earth. If the Lord tarries his coming, every one of us in here are going to die one day. Now the Lord could come back today and we could could all, uh, those that are saved, be raptured out of here and we do not have to experience that. But if God tarries his coming, every one of us will experience death. You can't escape it. Whether we live 70, 80, 90, or 100 years, that is just a brief time in comparison to eternity. There's an eternity that each of us will experience. The way of the godly leads to life everlasting. The way of the ungodly leads to a life of separation, a life of eternal judgment. In fact, let's see that illustrated again once in the New Testament. Turn to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16 this morning. We'll pick up in verse number 19. A familiar account where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and those in that crowd that day. And he says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Can you see the contrast here? You have a man of success by a worldly standard. He is he's rich uh, he is faring sumptuously every day, it means he has all the pleasures that this life could ever bring. He has more than enough; more. He's he's living in abundance, and then right outside his gate is a man that's completely opposite—a beggar. He's sick and he's he's uh, beat up and decrepit, and, and and he he longs for just some crumbs that would fall from the rich man's table. And then we learn in verse number twenty-two. Both men die. Both of them. The poor beggar, this man without anything, he dies, and the rich man dies. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried and in hell He, the rich man, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now let me point out here very quickly, church. He doesn't go to hell because he's a rich man. Listen, rich people and poor people go to hell, and rich people and poor people can go to heaven. It has nothing to do with one's status or bank account numbers. It has to do with a decision that a man or a woman makes in their hearts towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection is what redeems a person and saves a person. And so he doesn't go to hell because he is a rich man. He goes to hell because he is an unbeliever. He had rejected Christ. He had rejected the way of God. And he found himself in hell. Look at verse 25. Abraham has a conversation with this man. He says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime... That's this lifetime, that's this season. Receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Listen, let's bring it back down here to planet earth real quick. Trying to find happiness. And you're going to try to find that through the pleasures of this life, this world. It's, it's only temporary. You'll have these good things during this time. But you'll have an eternity in torment apart from God. Lazarus had a short time in, in comparison to reality of difficulties. He was a poor man. He was a beggar. He was sick. All these things that were wrong, but it was just a short time. And now here he is. He's comforted. He's living a life of comfort and pleasure with with the Lord. It, this, this is over 2,000 years ago. Lazarus is still in heaven. Lazarus is still comforted. He had a, a short time, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 years on this life, but now over 2,000 years. That rich man, he had a short time of pleasures. 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90, 100 years. And now over 2,000 years, In torment see church we've got to look at this thing in the right right perspective here don't spend your life just trying to find the pleasures here on this earth but let's prepare for a heavenly home And so this morning i ask you how are you pursuing happiness are you taking the path of the godly or the path of the ungodly God's way is the best way, it's the right way, and it's the only way to find true happiness. Let me show you where that would begin with these thoughts in closing. Truly, the way to true happiness begins right here by recognizing who each of us are. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, the same chapter says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's what you mu- If you truly want to find this happiness that only God can provide, it must begin with this recognizing you are a sinner. Every one of us. There's not one person in here that is guiltless. There's not one person in here that is innocent. We are all sinners. All have sinned. There is none that is righteous. Whether that is just one little lie or we're some some great sinner, the reality is that we're all sinners. If you agree with me today, would you nod your head? Would you say amen? We're sinners. And there's a penalty for sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Because I'm a sinner, my penalty, my costs, my wage is death. It's separation from God. Imagine this with me today. If this is God and and this is man, God wants this. God wants a fellowship. God wants a relationship. But we've got a problem there's sin in the way sin is the great block sin is the great uh, 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 divider of man and it doesn't matter if you're a big sinner or a little sinner the sin blocks that relationship that god wants and so we have a major problem i'm a sinner and my sin blocks my relationship with god and i am so glad the bible doesn't stop there aren't you I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm, I'm blocked for ever having a relationship with God. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible, but God commendeth or proved or displayed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the whole purpose of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. His burial and His resurrection was to provide a way, a a means of salvation to deliver us from our sins, to cleanse us from all of our sins, to make us have a way that is right with God. Listen, God loved you so much even in your sinful state that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to be buried and to rise again from the grave. Now Jesus did that, but we have to claim that. We have to receive that. It takes more than just knowledge. Knowledge of the death, burial, and resurrection does nothing for you until you believe upon it. You receive the gift of salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart we believe upon God. Verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you may say today i believe it but i ask you today have you ever claimed it have you ever received the gift of salvation you say well i'm a religious person i go to church it's not the question you say i've been baptized i've given into the offering it's not the question have you ever put your faith in what jesus christ has done for you listen if you truly want to find happiness it begins at the point of receiving jesus christ as your savior that starts you on that pathway of the godly and leads you leads you to living that life as described there in psalm chapter one with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today i'd ask you the question how are you pursuing happiness are you choosing the path of the godly or the path of the ungodly If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never received the gift of salvation. And you feel that tug in your heart, that tug that comes from the inside. We would call that conviction. It's a biblical term. It's a biblical uh, uh, doctrine uh, of the Holy Spirit convicting and drawing an individual to him, and he does that because he loves you. You're here today and you feel that tug in your heart. Because God loves you and he wants you to receive him as your Savior today. Perhaps you are saved, but perhaps you're, you're choosing a wrong path. You're trying to find happiness through the pleasures of this world. And the Lord's convicted you today, believer, Christian. You know that you're priorities aren't right you're allowing some influences into your life or into your family's life that are not what God would want and you've felt the convicting touch of God today there's opportunity to get right with the Lord this morning perhaps you say I just need some help and some direction in my life to help me make the right path whatever it may be in just a moment the piano will play and we'll have an invitation we'll invite you to come to the altar We'll have some folks here that are ready to help you and to pray with you and to guide you if you need that. Or perhaps today is just bowing your heart there at your pew. But whatever the Lord leads you today, we want you to be obedient to Him today. Listen, the pursuit of happiness is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, living through for Him through His Word. Father, I pray now that you'd work in hearts and lives. Help us to be obedient to you today. Lord, as you've touched hearts, as you've convicted individuals, we pray that they would respond today in obedience, trusting you, Lord. And we'll thank you for what you accomplish. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you stand this morning as the piano begins to play? The Lord's touched your heart. Would you respond today and make your way to this altar? Make your way down here to talk to the Lord, to pray today. Perhaps right there at your pew, you'd bow your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, help me to reject what I should reject and to claim what I should claim. Help me to get on the right path today.